0: To the Museum of Femininity. My name is Charlotte Appuyard. I will be doing another solo podcast episode for you today. So another thing we would really love to try out on this podcast is doing biographical episodes about female artists or possibly at some stage, important female figures in history who we feel have maybe been forgotten or who don't get shouted about very often. What really inspired me to do this episode was reading a book which I stumbled upon one day in my favourite little bookshop and sort of very impulsively bought, as I tend to do. And that book is called Renoir's Dancer, The Secret Life of Suzanne Valladon by Catherine Hewitt. The book really sort of spoke to me because of this image on the front of a dance scene from one of Renoir's paintings, which Suzanne Valadon features in, and it was a, an image I was very familiar with. The painting is called, so the painting is called Dance at Bougival. I'm really sorry. I'm awful at French. I never took French at school. I did Spanish. Not that I'm much good at that either. But it basically means that I have no idea how to pronounce French words. So this episode should be very interesting. But uh, this painting, um, I'm sure if you're a fan of the Impressionists of Renoir, you're probably quite familiar with it. It depicts this beautiful young girl in a very frothy light pink gown trimmed with red lace with a red bonnet on dancing with a gentleman who's quite sort of anonymous really he's got this yellowish straw hat tilted over his face a reddish beard and a dark blue suit and weirdly enough whenever i see this i'm always reminded of vincent van gogh for some reason i think it sort of looks like him Anyway, the the lady, her face is really the sort of centrepiece. Her eyes are downcast and she's looking very sort of peaceful as she's swept away in this lively country dance. She has very fair skin, a sort of rosy, healthy complexion and she has very heavy, dark auburn hair which is worn in a a sort of box fringe and her eyebrows are quite dark. She She has a very distinctive look and I think once you're aware of Suzanne Valadon's features you become quite aware of her in many paintings. Of course this book um, with this image on the front is about the life of this female dancer in the painting Suzanne Valadon and I think that really appealed to me because I felt like I sort of knew her um, and her look. I recognised her from many paintings I had admired and it's interesting, you sort of, sometimes when you study art history, you become a little bit detached from the people in the paintings. They kind of take on a fictional life and you sort of forget that they're modelled on women who really existed and had lives of their own. So I was I was quite struck by how I sort of recognised the painting she was in, but I never really knew anything about her. So it really prompted me to pick up the book And I'm happy to say, despite the title, which suggests uh, she is a sort of extension of Renoir, it is a very thorough, engaging biography that really captures the essence of this woman, her character, her passion, her resilience, and the fact that she sort of rose up from nothing to become a very successful artist in her own right, despite the fact that she was predominantly known as an artist's model and a muse and a lover of artists as well. So I think this book really inspired me to sort of take up this concept for a new kind of hopefully ongoing series talking about female artists who were perhaps once muses or artists' models. And I can think of several examples of female artists I really admire who I would love to shed some more light on so this is why I've chosen Suzanne Valadon as the subject of the first episode of this new vision for the Museum of Femininity. So just to get started Suzanne Valadon was born in 1865 In a very provincial part of France. So she was a country girl. And her mother was unmarried when she was born. So you can imagine the scandal this would have caused. Um, Her father, he sort of disappeared from their lives. And she grew up without a father. She had an older sister though. And this sort of trio of women. Well at the time she was very young. She would have been sort of four or five. Travelled to Paris. Montmartre which was the bohemian epicentre of the world and Paris at that time and I I first became aware of Montmartre um, from the movie Moulin Rouge which I was completely obsessed with when I was about 11 and I used to watch it every day and I always remember sitting in an IT class and just fantasising about the elephant love medley in my head and I just absolutely loved it and I wanted to live in in Paris in 1900, that would have been my ideal. So I, I do think at the time though it really was an exciting place to be and it was full of artists and writers, nightclubs and you know it had this great atmosphere and it was very sort of fizzing with energy And I think quite a liberating place to live. I I doubt there were many strict social rules in that area in Paris. And this was the environment Suzanne grew up in. So she was incredibly um, energetic and tomboyish as a little girl. She was very known about the place. She would uh, sort of run around and have fun and play. And I think she was quite cheeky. She had a a sort of definite reputation She wasn't a great student She left school early She didn't really finish her schooling Um, And at the age of 10 She supported herself And helped support the family By taking on odd jobs So she was a waitress She was a nanny as well. well In her sort of formative teen years She was even a circus performer And she loved that uh, but unfortunately she fell from a trapeze so she had to sort of put the reins on that career but gosh if that didn't happen um, I wonder what she would have done with her life, I wonder what it would have been like. It, it would be really interesting to sort of think, dream up an alternative reality where she was a famous circus performer. So after that her life took on a new direction and because she was incredibly attractive And really stood out, I think, from all the paintings she features in. You can tell she was a really unusual, striking beauty. She found work as an artist's model. So the first artist she worked with, um, okay, here goes, was Pierre Pouvis de Chavines. And he was a lot older than her at the time. He was quite respected as well, and he sort of straddled the world between... Um, this sort of more radical upcoming movements and a more of an academic style, so he kind of existed in both realms so despite the age difference, she had an affair with this man he was quite known for liking younger women and dating his models Dating's probably a bit of a modern term, but he he certainly enjoyed. The company of women and that's interesting because he's very you know in all the pictures of him and when you read about him he seemed like a very old school kind of gentlemanly type you know uh, very put together with a nice twirling moustache almost grandfatherly so uh, it's interesting to think of him being like that behind closed stores but I think also uh, Suzanne had a certain effect on men and particularly artists who, you know, she certainly captivated. Generally, Suzanne was quite sexually liberal. She seemed to enjoy having relationships with multiple partners. There's stories of her stripping and wearing a mask and sort of cheekily sliding down a banister in a famous nightclub. She just seemed to enjoy her body and not really care what people thought of her and she just you know she enjoyed life and good on her she's very modern in lots of ways and and even seeing paintings of her I, I I think she looks very modern and there are photographs of her as well and I do think she seems always like a woman out of time but that might be me projecting my own modern sensibilities onto her but she certainly was very vivacious and popular, and she had affairs with many incredibly well-known artists. So she was modelling from eighteen eighty to eighteen ninety three, and some of the artists she modelled for, of course, included Pierre auguste Renoir. He really loved her look. He he liked country girls. You know He enjoyed uh, the rosy cheeks, he liked plump women as well, and particularly in the later period of Renoir's work, he definitely had a bit of a, a sort of Ruben-esque take on the female body. There was They were very fleshy and curvaceous and it was very sort of sensual and you could tell he was projecting his own uh, ideas of what a woman should be like onto these models. And I think even the way he drew Suzanne, he was probably exaggerating her features slightly and making her seem even more sort of rosy-cheeked than she perhaps was. And I think the, the best example of that is in Suzanne's own self-portraits in that time period compared with the portraits of her by other artists. So in 1883, she appeared in... Dance in the City, which was one of two paintings. The other one was Dance in the Country. Um, in these images, of course, she's in two different settings. Her clothing is very different as well to reflect the, the kind of urban, slightly more upper class environment. She's wearing a very stylish uh, sort of slinky kind of gown with a bustle and it's this very pale blue colour and she has these long gloves and she, she looks incredibly sophisticated And then in the other one, it's a bit like the painting she was in before and she's kind of skipping around and she looks very jolly and, you know, she's swept up in the music and it's she she is losing her inhibitions a bit more in the country version of this painting. But you do see the softness of her face and, you know, she's very... She's just quite idealised. She almost... you, You don't quite get her expression and it's not quite... It's it's like her face has been sort of transformed slightly to the point where it doesn't really look like her anymore. You can just sort of see like whispers of her, but compared to photographs she seems a lot a lot a, a lot softer and rounder um in reality she was quite slim and I think her face was rather angular actually, particularly when you look at there's a photograph of her when she's 15 and she has quite a prominent jawline and She has a very interesting face. She really looks like um, an actress, actually. She reminds me of that model, uh, the 90s model. I think her name was Linda Evangelista. Like, very wide eyes and um, a kind of square jaw. Incredibly beautiful and interesting looking. But not quite... She didn't quite look like the paintings of her by Renoir. And... At this time, so without any education or schooling, she had taught herself how to draw and she did her own self-portrait. And in comparison to uh, the images of her by Renoir, it's very different. Uh, The colours of it, for instance, are quite uh, unusual. They're, They're not the most natural, which I think detracts from the ideas of the impressionist movement of using very natural colors so already she seems quite different and uh, di- different to her contemporaries she's sort of moving away from them a bit she feels more post impressionistic uh, even before artists like Toulouse-Lautrec and Vincent van Gogh came along so her self-portrait was done in 1883 and it was a pastel portrait so she mostly worked in red chalk and pastels before she really took her artistic career seriously so while she was still working as a model and um yeah she it's it's not the most flattering portrait so she's sort of uh, sitting looking out at the viewer her red hair is parted in the middle and tied back in a bun and Her lips are kind of puckered almost. They almost look sort of pressed together in disapproval. And she looks quite stern, to be honest. Um, And it's interesting that the colour of her skin, it's got a, a greenish tint, which is also used in the background. And her dress is just a very plain, dark blue dress. There's nothing romantic about it at all it's just a very honest portrait in a way I think maybe she's being a bit critical of her appearance but it's just interesting it's it's very direct and striking and I think for someone who had no training it's incredibly accomplished and very well painted but it's also quite intimate and you get a sense of what she's thinking maybe and perhaps she's lonely I don't know it's it's much more engaging and a bit less romantic romanticized when you compare it to Dance in the City which is this sort of private moment between a couple but it's mostly focused on the luscious folds of her silk dress rather than her as an individual she's just really a clothes horse modeling a, a beautiful gown and selling a beautiful concept of a romantic dance in the city. She was self-taught, as I said, and from her early self-portraits uh, we can detect some self-consciousness, but also a keen eye and a desire to experiment. And I do think this is really fascinating. I, it shows a sort of innate genius. I mean, maybe I'm being a bit over the top, but I do feel that way. She was so good and I'm just amazed that I've never heard of her before because I really, I really love her paintings. And I think she just gets better and better with age. And she does some really interesting things that are so innovative and quite uh, tra- transgressive, really, for the time. So one of the other very well-known painters who drew her was Henry de Toulouse-Lautrec, who is another one of my very early favourites, I think. Uh, He's a classic one isn't he That people really love when they're sort of teenagers And just getting into art history But for a good reason Because his artwork was so uh, visually arresting And really a fever dream And I think much more compelling than the Impressionists Although they they have a special place in my heart I do find the sort of quote-unquote post-Impressionist painters way more dynamic and inventive with their colours and their subject matters. It's grimy, it's uh, sort of emotional, psychological. I I just love it so much. And I mean, the best example of that is Latrac's own painting of Suzanne Valadon, which is called The Hangover. So that's not at all Pretty is it, and she she looks a bit worn out in it, to be honest, she's sort of slouched over in a cafe, looking out. she looks very like she's suffering from a thumping headache, and like she wants to go back to bed really um so this painting was done in eighteen eighty seven to eighteen eighty nine and it's oil on canvas, and it's got that classic Latrec sort of quick sketchy coloured style which I think he's quite well known for as well as he's Prince and she's got a bottle of wine I think in front of her and she she looks like she's reflecting on a bad memory or thinking god what did I do last night which I think we've all been there really yeah it's fantastic and they had such a great friendship they really loved each other and they got on like a house on fire um, I think he was probably a bit in love with her, as most men were, but nothing nothing came of their relationship. And I think they had a bit of an argument and they never really spoke to each other again. But when he did die, she was, you know, heartbroken, really. It's always sad to lose an old friend. So, in 1883, our heroine gave birth to a little boy called Maurice. She was only 18 when she gave birth to him. The father is officially Miguel Utrillo, who was a good friend of Suzanne's. They met in this sort of bohemian scene of Paris, and they had a very passionate, young love affair. And he's he's always been considered to be the father, but there were some disputes about this, I think, there was a terrible story of sexual assault, which is really awful. It, it Apparently it happened um, when Suzanne was walking home one night. Yeah, so apparently she was assaulted one night. She's never really spoken about it publicly, but I, I do think the perpetrator was known to her. And yeah, that's an awful thing to go through. It doesn't matter how... Um, Sexual someone is Nobody deserves to be attacked It's also, you know All the artists she had affairs with Were sort of suspected to be the father At one point or another Including Renoir and Chavines As well But Trillo, he was the one Who was put on the birth certificate And that is The birth of Maurice Utrillo, who was also Quite a well-known artist In his time And he's an interesting character as well. And I do think they had a really interesting relationship. They were very close and he sort of really loved his mother. Um, Even though in his early years she wasn't really around a lot, she kind of left him with her mother to raise him and she went back to her modelling career. But he longed for her. He really pined after her. And when he was older they certainly got back together and their lives were very entwined, especially when he also became an artist and he was considered to be a sort of innately talented person, you know, maybe it really did run in the family, but again with no training, he just was very gifted and he used to paint these wonderful landscape views of Paris and he was very well known in his day, his paintings sold for a lot of money and they were very sought after and the the problem with Maurice, though, and the thing that really plagued Suzanne throughout his life was his alco- alcoholism. And he was, te- it was terrible. Um, he really drunk himself to death, really. I mean, he died in old age, but it was something he could never quite relinquish. And he started drinking when he was very young and he was known for sort of staggering around the streets, just completely off his face. And I think it caused Suzanne a lot of pain and, you know, it caused many dramas throughout her life. Her trying to care for her son and enrich his life and encourage his talents. So that was a major feature for her, particularly um, in her, you know, 30s when he was older. In the early 1890s, Suzanne met a very important person in her life called Edgar Degas an incredibly well-known artist. He is perhaps most recognisable for his paintings of ballerinas and women bathing as well. I always found his work quite voyeuristic. There's something about like watching a woman taking a bath. She always has her back to you. like She doesn't know she's being watched. It's very strange. But I do love his ballet dancers, actually, because... I feel like they're almost like photographs. They really capture a freeze frame of of this internal world of of the ballet. Um, It's mostly like behind the scenes stuff. And yeah, they're very interesting. And I think he's totally deserving of all of his artistic praise, even if from what I've read, he's quite a difficult character. He really loved Valadon's work. He wasn't You know, this is one of the few artists who didn't paint her or want to sleep with her. He just loved her work and he really admired the boldness of it and um, how well she drew. And he was the first person to actually purchase a drawing from her. And that was something that hung in his house for the rest of his life. And they struck up a lifelong friendship. And he was really instrumental in... Uh, in introducing her to art dealers and people who would help elevate her career. So I think he was an important figure in her life. But of course, it was her own hard work that made her succeed. That was the absolute key to her success. In 1896, Valadon began painting full time. And this clashes with her marriage to um, a banker called Paul Moosey, Moosey I think, yeah, (laughs) so he from what I can tell he, he wasn't a sort of artistic interesting bohemian poet, he was very different to her previous lovers I think but he was stable and secure and you know he could offer her a great life a life where she no longer had to model and she could totally throw herself into her artwork, which is what I think she really wanted. The problem was she had to leave Montmartre, which she really loved, and move to the the sort of Parisian suburbs, which was much more respectable, but I imagine quite boring, and I do think she really desperately missed her home. But during this time, she really dived into painting and she pa- painted a variety of different subjects including still lives uh, which I really I love her still lives actually they're from a bit later on m- mostly but they're incredibly colourful and she's very interested in pattern as well um, very aesthetic you know but for a subject that's quite I guess it's Considered sort of low art, I suppose, in an academic sense. Still lives were never that highly regarded, but I think she did something really innovative with it. You know, she she didn't just paint a photorealistic vase of flowers. She she really thought about composition and color, and I think they're quite recognizable as her own work. Of course, she also painted portraits, many of which featured her son Maurice and her mother. Um, in sort of interesting kind of triad portraits where you know you can sense sort of psychological tensions between the sitters and everything's slightly awkward and you know I I, I do feel like she reflects a lot of her own life in her work which makes it so engaging to me particularly as she was a female painter in a very male dominated world and um, she was able to become a painter through an interesting circumstance of being sort of poor and coming from a lower class background being able to access that world by being a model so yeah it's 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 interesting i'm not sure if a wealthy woman of that time would have been able to crack the art world as she had done um Going through a more conventional Schooling structure I think the way Suzanne did it was Incredibly smart That was the way to get, get in because of course She could learn from the artist She was modelling for and I think that is How she learnt how to paint And draw But she had an eye for it didn't she So as well as portraits of, And flowers and still life, She also painted landscapes And sort of scene images Of scenes of figures And Um, I think one of her most memorable ones is from 1911 it's called The Joy of Life and this to me this is her at her most seasoned and experienced she's slightly older you know she's lived a bit and it's a wonderful image because it it's very similar to a kind of conventional trope in art history of Women bathing and being sort of watched by men. And I I do think she does this quite often. She'll take very traditional um, compositions and subject matters from the old masters. So, Adam and Eve is one of them as well, and I'll talk more about that later. And then she'll place a female perspective over the top that totally brings the subject to life and really adds a new layer to it. So, this kind of bathing women scene she does that wonderfully with this because there are four figures of women. They're all sort of in different positions. One's looking away, one's sort of stretching, one's bending over and another one is sort of sitting down. They're all quite different in terms of their body type as well. The lady leaning over is a bit slimmer. Um, One of them has a slightly darker skin tone. They have different hair colours they all feel like real women, to be honest. And another thing that adds to that is their body type as well. Um, I've spoken a bit about Renoir and Ruben projecting a certain curvaceousness onto women because that was what they enjoyed, but it wasn't quite real. It was their their own idealised beauty. But I do get a sense that even though these women are curvaceous, this is real women's bodies, um, in particular the lady sitting down you can see these like rolls of her stomach and the lady looking away she's kind of holding a towel over her front she's got her hip kind of jutting out and you can sort of see like a bit of a love handle and the lady's stretching as well she has um she has kind of like heavy breasts they're not super like normally when you see nudes in paintings their breasts are quite small really but This woman, she she kind of has the figure of a lady who has born children. And it's a very realistic, beautiful figure. Um, And I believe it is also modelled on Suzanne herself. And this is something she did continuously. She would paint her own body um, throughout different phases of her life, including well into middle age. She was not afraid of showing an ageing body and kind of celebrating it and this painting I think is it perfectly captures that whole female point of view uh, aspect of her work that made it so special and so revolutionary and also so controversial because a woman painting a female nude was very uncommon and I think the honesty of the way she did it surprised people, and it's it's sort of like, I mean, by nineteen eleven we're well past the stage of being shocked by you know things like Manet's Olympia, where he's depicting a real prostitute sort of posing as Venus. Um, I think some years, some decades have passed since then, and we're a bit more used to seeing real women modelling but I think this is different somehow. It 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 does feel more realistic. And it shows a woman kind of reveling in her body and enjoying being naked. It's called The Joy of Life. And there's a sort of shamelessness about it, which is, it, it seems so liberating. The style it's painted is really lovely as well. So they're sitting in a sort of forest scene and um, every all the tones are very earthy uh, it reminds me a bit of paul Cezanne as well but you get this like very vivid blue sort of peeking out between the trees and the whole composition is just lovely and there's a man in the corner as well and he is also naked and he's sort of admiring these women but they're kind of ignoring him they're just it feels like they're there for themselves really they're not They're not there for his pleasure. They're sort of just enjoying the moment. It's interesting, isn't it? Because if it had been a man who painted this, I think it would have looked different and it would have taken on a new meaning. So it just shows context is everything when you interpret paintings. But it does help enrich a painting and it gives it so much more meaning. So if we go back a bit, In eighteen ninety five, this is when Suzanne Valadon experienced her first success as an artist. So this is one year before she married and started to paint full time. So you could perhaps see this as the catalyst that really pushed her towards sort of taking her art seriously and being like, Okay, this is something I can definitely do. And that's when the art dealer Paul Gerand Real exhibited a group of 12 etchings by her that showed women in various stages of their toilettes so that's again a, a very sort of classic subject for a painting a woman getting ready for the morning after that she regularly showed in various different galleries including the salon de Nationale um, in slightly earlier in um, 1894 but she continued to exhibit there throughout her life which was such a great success Uh, considering she had no training you know it's you you cannot emphasize enough just how far she had come and the Salon des Independents from 1911 and of course the Salon des Femmes Artistes Modernes (laughs) which I guess is the Salon of Uh, female modern art or something and she exhibited there in 1933 to 1938 so that was amazing Um, she the fact she was able to do that I think that was such a highlight for her and that was right when she died as well really you know what an achievement and it's sad it was so late in her life but I think what a life she had so let's rewind a bit more so it took Suzanne some time to take up painting properly. She mostly favoured pastels and drawing as her main mediums. And she started painting properly in 1909. So gosh, it's, it really is phenomenal because you think the joy of life was painted just three years after that. It just boggles the mind. So she really must have worked so hard and just been so naturally gifted. Um And, of course, her work was very connected with sort of female sexual pleasure. uh, And also, very interestingly, she was one of the first, probably the first female artists to paint a man as the object of desire for a woman. Now, that is, yeah, that is quite a statement. So, the best example of this is as i mentioned before her painting of adam and eve which is from 1909 and it shows a very sort of traditional composition of a lady eve standing there plucking an apple from a tree and then there's a gentleman next to her who's sort of he's got his hand wrapped around her wrist and he's gently pulling it away you know we know the story adam's like don't eat the apple and She looks quite contented in this. She's just like, I'll do what I want, thank you. The gentleman who is modelling as Adam, he's very young. He's got one of those very lean, youthful figures. Uh, He's blonde. He's very recognisable as the model, Andre Utter. And interestingly, I've just noticed this, but his groin area is actually covered with leaves, but... She shows her vagina quite openly with pubic hair on it as well. Um, In our previous episodes, we've spoken about whether or not vaginas were openly portrayed in art and how we felt like it was something that was often covered up in very sort of not-so-subtle ways with drapery or hands. Um, But yeah, this is very... it's a very open, honest... This is my... <laughs> my genitals which is great I mean it it's so obviously it's not salacious in the least it's just a painting and I think it's more about their relationship than sexualizing it in any way even though they did have a sexual relationship but yeah that is that has spoken to me a bit that is interesting I think and I don't think I've ever seen that before a painting of of a woman and her lover because andre utter was her lover where the man is covered up but the woman is not and as well as that andre utter was 23 when they met and she was in her 40s so here as well as having the female be almost like the i don't know the 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 sort of main event of the painting um we also have a woman showing her older, her, her aging body. So she's middle aged at this point. She was still incredibly beautiful, and turned heads everywhere she went. Um, she also has this long dark hair hanging down, and um, he's, yeah, it it's it's a really great painting, and I think incredibly unique for all those reasons and we of course we see the striking lines and that brilliant blue she always uses for the sky um, and the same sort of colour palettes but yeah gosh she just started to paint and yeah the skin tone is very interesting as well it reminds me of that very early self-portrait of hers where she's not afraid to kind of mix slightly unusual colours in with the skin so here we have you know some golden tones but we also have a lot of blues and kind of pinks as well and this the skin tone is very uneven not not at all like what you would expect from a classical painting with very kind of soft and you know dewy porcelain skin yeah what a great painting so andre utter i'll cover him because What a a fascinating relationship. So this was not the only time she painted André. And um, when she met him, he was also trying to become a painter himself. So he he would paint uh, outside. And there's a story that he was painting one day and she sauntered past. And she kind of leant over his shoulder and she criticised his work and gave him a bit of constructive feedback but with a little twinkle in her eye, and I think he was really like, oh, who is this lady? You know, I think she had a bit of a cougar quality about her, and at this stage she was incredibly alluring and sexually experienced, and she really knew her own mind, so I think he was probably very drawn into that. But they developed a real love for each other. I just love the image of her painting him, and then sort of, falling into each other's arms it makes me think of the role reversal how when she was younger she was the artist's model and she was the one being seduced by the artist and now the roles have switched and she's this confident older woman who is reaching out to a younger man and he's just besotted with her quite a powerful feeling I imagine anyway they got married So she's still married to the Boring Banker guy. They did get a divorce in 1914 and then shortly after she married Utter. and they remained married until they divorced in 1934 and I think the divorce was really as a result of the many affairs Andre had and the fact that. You know, she was getting older at that stage, the age gap would have been quite extensive and perhaps they were just no longer compatible and drifted away. But I, I do believe she was always incredibly nostalgic for the love they had. It's very sad, actually. Um, but despite that, she, you know, she really flourished in her career as an artist. I think the other painting I just want to quickly talk about as well is... The Abandoned Doll, which is quite a late work in 1921. It's all on canvas and it's currently not on display anywhere. But I think it's it's quite unsettling, to be honest. I find it quite different from Suzanne's other works. It shows a mother sitting on a bed with her daughter, who is ad- an adolescent, probably about 12 or 13 Definitely on the cusp of puberty. She is quite girlish in lots of ways. She has her hair cut in this sort of short bobbed hairstyle with a pink bow in her hair, Uh, but her figure is developing. And on the floor is a doll, which sort of looks like she's tossed down in some sort of anger, and her mother is sort of trying to comfort her she's got a blanket and it looks like she's drying her off and the girl she seems very belligerent to be honest and she's holding a mirror as well and she's looking at her reflection and yes yes gosh this this painting is very psychological in all sorts of ways Um, the subjects of the paintings are Valadon's niece and her sister but there isn't really, it's it's not really supposed to be a portrait of them. I think there's more going on here and it shows a definite poignant journey from childhood to ad- adolescence for this girl. And I think the doll, I mean in a way the symbolism is quite on the nose. Obviously the doll is her like throwing her childhood away and she's looking at her reflection in a in that kind of, vain way teenagers tend to look at themselves vain or perhaps insecure an awareness of the body a sort of sexual awakening and a maturing of the body if you like so I think this is such a I mean gosh this is such a captivating subject I doubt this has ever really been tackled before that sort of awkward transition phase from child to woman I mean, really, I I think in this period, there wasn't such a thing as a teenager. It was just you were a child and then you're a woman. So showing this kind of awkward moment is really, I don't know, it, it, it does feel quite unique. Like she's speaking about a female perspective that is normally buttoned up and not talked about. So I think that just, again, that shows how this female point of view really elevates certain subject matters and the themes she is tackling are quite radical and unique and I cannot stress enough just how important I think she is as a female artist in this male dominated world and how grateful I am that she you know she was around she's just absolutely fantastic and I want to make a trip to Paris immediately to see all her works, she painted extensively so in her lifetime she produced 273 drawings 478 paintings and 31 etchings Uh, and this is excluding anything she gave away or destroyed so her output as an artist was vast indeed I think she was revolutionary sadly she's not so remembered which is something I would really like to change if I can you know if I could introduce one person to Suzanne Valadon that would be a great achievement it's a bit sad because it doesn't look like there's anything of hers in England which you know is a pity but maybe I'll get to Paris one day so in the city of Paris Museum of Modern Art we've got Mother and Child, paintings of Maurice Ortrillo, some nudes and we also have a couple of her still lives in there. In the Pompidou Centre we also have quite a few of her works uh, including The Grandmother which I absolutely love. So that's the red chalk picture of her own mother which is very early from 1883 and we have different different ones of Maurice as well and Nudes of course so this this museum has a lot of her work in it it is probably the the highest concentration of Valadon work so if you're interested in seeing her and you're going to Paris definitely go to the Pompidou and it does include things like Castor of the Nets which is from 1914 that's a wonderful portrait of not portrait. Scene of men casting a net while they fish, and it's very physical. And uh, she really gets the sort of flinging of the muscles, um, that that kind of aggressive motion. It's really well done. You also have other, you know, her famous uh, still lives, including the Blue Room, and those really awkward family portraits of Maurice. Uh, his grandmother and the dog, the sort of funny dog in, in one of them. Weirdly enough there's not many in the Museum of Montmartre. I would expect more to be in there. Maybe it's a small museum I've never been. But yeah there's there's others in Washington, San Francisco, Prague I would say Old Pittsburgh as well. And there's a few more in Paris. The main places to see Suzanne's work is the Pompidou in Paris and uh, just Paris generally but there there also seems to be quite a lot in the National Museum of Women in Arts in Washington yeah so there's quite a few in there so just to cover the location of the paintings I've spoken about today the early self-portrait is in the Pompidou Centre as is Adam and Eve and the joy of life is in the um Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And if you're interested in seeing the paintings where Suzanne modelled... So I only really spoke about a couple of them, but the... So the Renoir-Suzanne Valadon Dance at Bougival still sounds weird when I say it. This one is in the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. I think Boston has a really high concentration of Impressionist painting. And that lovely... <laughs> relatable hangover painting by Lautrec. That one is in the Harvard Museum of Art. Yeah, so that that just about covers all of the paintings I've spoken about today, so if you're in any of those places, definitely go and have a look, learn about this wonderful woman. Um, Just to talk about the resources, so mostly, of course, as I'm sure you can imagine, I used Renoir's dancer, The Secret Life of Suzanne Valadon, by Catherine Hewitt as my main resource. However, I did also use the websites for um, the National Museum of Women in the Arts, which I found really a great resource for just learning about about different women, really, and yeah, sort of digging up women artists who are fantastic but maybe are not always included in the canon of art history so very grateful for this website Um, I hope you have gained a new curiosity for Suzanne Valadon and investigating her work further I highly recommend uh, the book uh, Renoir's Dancer and please leave a review let me know what you think about this new idea for Uh, a a sort of mini podcast episode every month i hope you enjoyed it you can follow us on twitter at uh, museum underscore of underscore fem with a capital f f e m and you can follow us on instagram at the museum of femininity and on both those platforms i will be posting lots of pictures so you can go there if you want to see reference images for what I've been talking about today. Okay, thank you for listening. I will see you soon. Bye! But there were important times where girls
1: refused to bow to expectations. They took a stand which stood for all.